Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Tank Top Tuesday, and we have got some sorting to do at the top of the Big 12 when it comes to the convoluted tiebreaker situation. Also, power rankings today, but we're going to go Big 12 Coach of the Year power ratings. That's what I'm doing on today's Big 12 Watch. I am your host, Josh Neighbors, here on Crystal Ball College Football, part of the 365 Sports Network, your best place for five-plus days a week of the best Big 12 content out there. Make sure you guys like the video and subscribe to the channel. That's the best way to share this thing. I get messages all the time of folks saying, Josh, I used to watch your old Big 12 stuff. Uh, I'm glad I found you again. So if you all like the video, it does help spread the word because I get that like maybe once a week, comments with stuff like that. So I appreciate uh, you all saying things like that and liking the video, leaving those comments, subscribing to the channel, best way to help support this show. If you can't watch it, you can listen to it wherever you guys get your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those places. You all can find the Big 12 Watch and also find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at NWPod365 is the actual podcast account. And you guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. That's where I give my Big 12 best bets, three and four last week. Uh, but we're going to be over 500 on the season no matter what happens this year. So that's always uh, great to have when you're uh, over 500, no matter what. Uh, we're eight games over right now in the season. So no matter what happens with the seven this weekend, we'll be over 500 on the regular season. Uh, and so you guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. So today's show, a couple things. We get the Big 12 tiebreaker statement. And this has been a big point of contention. And I, I want to kind of talk about this right now. The best thing about this league is how competitive it is. And that's being shown in the last, week of the season it's great because like we have a clear number one team uh texas but they still have not booked their their trip to the title yet and that's just you know because of one amazing game they play this year against oklahoma and so there's all these different coals in the fire right now the irons in the fire if you will and i will say the big 12 did not handle this great because they like the typo on the original rules but i think people are making a huge deal out of this like it's not like somebody's getting screwed if we're all confused about all these tiebreakers and whatnot, it's not that big of a deal because that means like somebody's not getting hosed, right? There's just, there's so many teams in the mix and it feels like it's hard to complain about getting screwed. Cause like, you know, Oklahoma's got losses to uh, obviously to Oklahoma state, right? That's the big one that they've got on their ledger and the one to Kansas too, you know, Kansas state's got losses to Oklahoma state and Texas, Iowa state's got losses, you know, Oklahoma and Texas as well. Uh, Oklahoma State lost to Iowa State and UCF. So like, there's really not too much complaining because all of these schools have lost a game or two. 
Uh, you know, if Texas didn't make it, like that'd be bad. Texas has been one of the best two teams in the entire league the entire season. So I feel like that would be that would be one where you'd be like, ah, it's not great. But but that being said, like I, I still think it's not that big of a deal because uh, you know we're going to a numbers type situation, and the Big Twelve office has said, uh, according to Kirk Bowles and Shahan Araja, 128 possible scenarios for the Big Twelve championship game. You know, even once again, like even Iowa State after the loss to Texas, that's who I'm repping on Tank Top Tuesday, trying to make sure we get those summer vibes going, even when it's raining and cold outside. Uh, they still have a shot to go in the Big Twelve championship game. So. We'll go through the rules, but I just want to clarify and say, like, yeah, it's not great. The Big 12 did not have all this sorted out. I understand the ire for that, and they do deserve it for that. I would just say, like, it doesn't feel like somebody's getting jobbed. Uh, I don't think you could say that. So let's go with simplicity. Top team is Texas, right? Scenarios involving matchups on Friday. Oklahoma remains in contention with a win or a loss against TCU. Texas will clinch with a win. If Texas wins on Friday... And Oklahoma State wins. There you go. Both those teams are double-digit favorites this week. So the most likely situation we have, and I think it's pretty likely that it goes down like this, is that Texas wins and Oklahoma State wins. And at that point, we don't have to be too concerned. But chaos does reign supreme in college football, uh, but Oklahoma State is nearly an 18-point favorite, 17 and a half right now, and Texas nearly a two-touchdown favorite. So that's the most likely situation. If... Texas wins and Oklahoma wins. Pair that with an Oklahoma State loss. Oklahoma will be the two seed. They will be there because of virtue of their tiebreak that they have uh, over Texas, right? So that would put them, uh, I would believe whatever it is, like it puts them in the, in the game, whatever the thing is. Uh, doesn't matter why. Just, just know that it does. So Oklahoma wins and Oklahoma State loses. They're in. If K-State wins and Oklahoma loses and Oklahoma State loses, it will be Texas and K-State. So that's your, if Texas wins, your three possible teams, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Oklahoma. If Texas, so if Texas Tech wins is a confusing way to say it. If Texas Tech were to lose, Texas Tech were to lose, or Texas Tech were to win, Texas to lose, no team can, can, can clinch a bid until Saturday. Texas can still clinch if two of the three, six, and two teams uh, you know, lose. So in that scenario, the Texas loan winning team would go if Texas loses and two of the three six and two teams win, there will be three or four teams tied for both championship game berths for the Big 12. Multiple scenarios exist in this circumstance contingent on which teams remain in the tiebreaker pool. So that is where it will get wild. And I'm not going to break down all the extra scenarios, but that's really what we're talking about here is like if Texas wins, if Texas loses, right? That's kind of what really sets the scene and sets the stage because what you have right now is a bunch of tiebreaker situations involving teams behind, like, you know, a bunch of the six and two, uh, six and two gang, right, is hanging out right there. So these are kind of the main ones that they're putting out. And the Big 12 put out their own statement as well, too, about all of this. Uh, that one was. I guess a bit less convoluted, but still convoluted in some ways. So we can go check that out too. I just kind of like the presentation of the on three one a bit better, but let's go over and hop over to what the conference proper had to say. So here you go. Um, Texas wins. They clinch the birth. There's that Texas tech wins. There's those uh, updated scenarios will be released by the big 12 following conclusion of Friday's game. So that could really spring the chaos here. And obviously you have that schedule 
to set things up to. So I don't think it's too much of a huge deal. I think mostly it actually speaks to the competition of this league and how balanced it's been this year. I thought it would be a bit more top heavy. Um, I think just now they have the 14 teams in the league this year. It just creates a more natural bottom, right? Like the bottom is the bottom. Cincinnati's bad. Uh, Baylor's bad, right? Uh, Houston can be bad on some weeks, you know, depending on the week. And even they challenge Texas. So you're seeing there, right? Like there, there is a bottom couple teams in that bot BYU, obviously too, even though they're five and six and conference play, it's been bad. UCF two and six has not been great either. Sometimes competitive, but uh, I mean like that middle class, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Kansas state, like kind of middle class to top, I should say West Virginia, Iowa state, Texas tech, even KU with the quarterback situation, right? TCU. I've got my eyes on them this week, obviously too, you know, it's, it's been a pretty good, strong middle class for the big 12 this year. So uh, that's, it's good to have. That's what you want. And this to me is more about that. Like the number of situations just speaks to the level of competition. And so that is exciting. And with that level of competition has come some really good coaching jobs. And so I'll tell you what guys, like there is no clear cut coach of the year in the big 12. I think if one of the new four schools succeeded, then you'd be talking about a shoe in for that category. Right. But that has not been the case. And so it's kind of left this battle royale, if you will. And I wouldn't be shocked if it could be decided this weekend. So here are my power rankings for big 12 coaches in the coach of the year race. I guess to the winner go the spoils. Let's go Steve Sarkeesian at number one. The reason why Sark is there, obviously, is that this has been a natural progression for Texas. They were five and seven. They were eight and four. And now they are 10 and one heading into this final week of the season. And so because of that, like, I don't think Sark has been perfect and none of these coaches have been, but like, this is, this is why he is at the top of the list. And, you know, they've had the best talent all year. Yes, too. But they've had to overcome quarterback injuries. Obviously a running back injury now is what they're overcoming. They have, you know, obviously pretty strong with their results this year. Uh, Oklahoma being the sole loss, win against Bama, wins against Iowa State towards the top of the league, wins against K-State towards the top of the league, hammered Kansas as well, right? So they've taken care of business for most of the season, save that one game against OU, that one big drive there, obviously, at the end of the game. And I think about Steve Sarkeesian, you know, still so much left to prove, but still so much credit needs to go to a coach who's coached uh, this team and I mean, like you recruited the team, developed the team, coached it, and they've succeeded. And kind of, I mean, their record does stand for itself. The talent, I understand. If you're like, they've got so much talent, Josh, we we shouldn't be lauding them. But Sark does deserve the credit for that. And and, and I I think from Sark, like Sark has a slight edge. The rest of these guys, there's a compelling case for them to be right there. And depending on this weekend's results, could get it. Lance Leipold at at um at Kansas is a shoe-in to be considered. Seven wins for them. I know it's one more than they had last year, but the fact that they're doing it with all of the rotating quarterback situation that they've had. You know, you have Jalen Daniels. He goes down the offensive player of the year preseason. You have Jason Bean, and then he goes down as well too. And even in the, like their losses are almost more impressive than the wins somehow. Oklahoma wins great, but like the fact that they're, you know, their close rival K-State, they're in the game with Cole Ballard you know, a quarterback, and let's be honest, like I, the, I'm sure he's a good kid, but he's pretty limited at that quarterback position. And so the fact that this is the state of affairs for them, they're this competitive, with that being the situation, to me, I, I think deserves a ton of credit. So I don't think you can have any conversation about coach of the year without Lance Leipold. Eight and four would help that a lot more. 
Um, but uh, I still think even the losses, I'm impressed. Number three, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. You know, this one makes sense because of the rally. You could also ding him for the losses, which have just been, uh, I mean, the, the losses have been bad. Like the losses have been bad, but you could spin that a, as an indicator of the talent level of the team. And you could also say like the way they rallied and also, you know, each loss they've rallied from and, and the way they developed, right? They picked a quarterback. They obviously are feeding Ollie Gordon. They're making plays on defense. And, you know, for a team that lost to South Alabama by 26 points, Mike Gundy proved once again, like, I believe he is the best coach in the league. It, you know, the coach of the year and coach of the league, that's, that's different things, right? The, the coach of the year is an individual award. The best coach in the league is just kind of a generic term. And we got a lot of good coaches, you know, but I would say, like, why does Mike Gundy get the nod over a Chris Kleiman, over a Lance Leipold, over anybody else? It's Matt Campbell. It's because the consistency of winning at Oklahoma State is a lot of what he has built there. And he gets that nod until other proven otherwise. And I mean, you know, I was kind of worried about where the roster was heading, especially all the exits. But the ironic thing is, even with all the exoduses they've had, like the guys stepping up this year have all been kind of longer term Cowboys or, you know, or guys that were there before. Uh, Jaden Bray, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Rashad Owens, I know they transferred in, but you know, you get guys like Brandon Presley last week, who was a monster. Uh, you get a guy like Ollie Gordon, who's on the team last year, who's made such a big difference. You know, like these are guys that were part of the program that are kind of the big stars, Colin Oliver on the defensive side of things. So it's almost business as usual, uh, for them in those categories, like those big players stick. And once again, I like Alan Bowman. Damn. I wish they had Spencer Sanders. I really, really do. I really wish that thing didn't go sour because it didn't work out for both parties. Even though Oklahoma State's been good, you can't tell me that um, that Spencer, with the way he was playing last year, if he's anywhere that player when he was healthy this season, this team is just good. Because the thing about Bowman is like, Bowman takes good care of the football, but he'll try to make some throws in the run. He makes good decisions. He'll throw the ball away a lot. But Spencer has a bit more of that ability. Allen's a thick kid, man. He's, he's a thick kid, gunslinger, yes, and... Uh, he's taking better care than Spencer did, but Spencer has the ability to really be a playmaker and be a, uh, and, and obviously carry them to an 11 win season or, you know, help carry the offense to that, that, uh, that massive season they had, uh, Neil Brown at number three here, not in contention, but when we consider, and also to, once again, that Spencer thing, like wish he was there, but Mike Gundy deserves the consideration because of where this team is. Uh, I want to see him go to the Big 12 championship. That would be a full recovery. I I don't think he'd get it if they don't make it there because I think the losses, the UCF loss, the USA loss, uh, those three, those ISU loss, right? The three-letter acronyms have had their way uh, in some of these games this year with Oklahoma State. So Neil Brown at number four, and you can make an argument he should be higher. I guess them being out of contention to the Big 12 championship makes this different, but we all picked them last, and we as the collective, we in the media, and I was part of that media as well, too. I had some serious concerns, them and Iowa State. And they have more than delivered. And they are improving. And they're finding different guys to make plays. They're 5-1 and one at home this year, obviously. And yeah, they beat any top 25 teams? No. But they're beating teams that aren't as good as them. They beat Pitt. They beat Tech. And, you know, Tech's a decent team. They beat TCU on the road, right? They had the Hail Mary loss to Houston. I mean, they could be an eight-win team right now. Oklahoma State game a little bit close. And the Oklahoma game didn't go their way. But... They won at UCF by two scores. They beat BYU by 30. They beat uh, Cincinnati by 21, right? So not the best strength of schedule in terms of like the victories they've racked up, but in terms of competition level and how well they've played 
compared to like what we thought they would look like. This team deserves a lot of credit. And the thing is, you know, CJ Donaldson has not had as great of a season. It's been Jaheim White who's emerged. And I'll also tell you this, uh, Donaldson's getting, you know, massive amount of carries, but like Jaheim White's at 80 carries and at eight, he's at 8.2 a carry. Donaldson has been really good in short yardage, but Green too. I mean, Garrett Green's got 11 rushing touchdowns on the season, you know, and he's, he's rushed for 605 yards. And as a passer, he's 52%, but they are a definitely a better passing team. And here's the thing, guys. Greens has the ball a lot. He's only been sacked four times. He's coming along. And I don't think that happens unless Neil Brown takes control of the offense and gives him the green light, empowers him, says you're the guy, and he's done a great job with Garrett. And I, I'm excited to see what that looks like next season. Uh, I think it's a really interesting proposition. So Neil Brown deserves consideration, especially if they win eight games. Uh, it definitely gets a, you know needs to be talked about. Chris Kleiman at five. So I think the reason you ding him is because he, uh, Sunny Dykes won it last year, but like we just saw them win the Big 12 championship. Um, and so this team had some high expectations. They have a chance to win nine games though again this season. And I think this team's not as good as last year's team on both sides of the ball. So I think that is something that we should uh, think about. But like there's really no signature win for them this year, right? I mean, if you're thinking about signature wins, like what is the big win? Because they had a bunch of lopsided wins, right? They beat SEMA by 45. They beat Troy by 29. They beat UCF by 13. They beat Texas Tech by 17. They beat TCU by uh, 28, 38, uh, whatever it was. They beat Houston by 41. Uh, you know, the Texas game was close. They're getting handled in that one. Baylor they killed and Kansas they killed, right? So Farmageddon this week. And like they're beating teams that are inferior to them, but the big issue for them has always been punching up and then the Oklahoma State game. Uh, but like that Missouri game in retrospect, I mean, it's a better, that K-State team, like we didn't know what they would have at this point in time, but uh, it's pretty impressive now that there was just a three-point game. So that's why I think Chris Kleiman needs to be up there because we're about to stack back-to-back nine and three seasons. And he did, you know, it's an individual season award, but I, I do think we have to think like he didn't win it last year and he's a big 12 championship winning coach. And he's definitely one of the best three or four coaches in this league year over year. Matt Campbell at six, uh, he will get a consideration for me and he might even get my vote. If they win, win farm again this week, the job that he has had to do, the fact that look in Iowa state, there's always buy-in. But like what they went through early in the season and also the fact that they have a pretty deficient roster, um, what they've produced this season is very impressive to me with wins over Oklahoma State, 13 point win against TCU. Uh, you know, they hammered BYU. They took care of both Cincinnati and Baylor. And you could argue like from a roster standpoint, they're not quite as good or, or they're closer to those teams, the top teams. But still, like what he has done, getting the buy in, finding Rocco Becht. The defense still is very good. Um, not as good as it normally is. Not as many great playmakers, but an awesome, well-coached unit. And so for them to book a bowl trip like earlier on was impressive to me. Uh, once again, Texas and Kansas State's tough ending to the season. But the fact that they're at six, none of us thought they'd be at six uh, starting the season. So he's got to be talked about in there too. I think all of this though kind of goes, it points back to Sark. He does the job. He deserves the votes for this. I still think that there are fine arguments. If you want to put Lance Leipold because of what happened this season, you know, with what they've lost, that's fine. If you want to put Mike Gundy, if they make it, that's fine. If you want to put Neil Brown because of the eight weight wins, it's fine. If you want to put K-State because of nine wins, right? That's fine. There's arguments all the way across, but Texas has been the best team. And the thing is 
they've almost tripped up a few times, but they haven't. They've won the games. And they got beat by a really uh, an excellent player in Dylan Gabriel on an excellent drive in the end of a rivalry game. And uh, that's your only loss. And so that's really impressive to me because this team also has gotten better. They are winning games that last season they would have lost. So I think Sark has to get it right now, but there's plenty of fine arguments for everybody else. And that takes us to the power rankings for this week. Guys, I only had one change. TCU up one, UCF down one. Uh, there's an argument to be made if K-State played Oklahoma State right now on a neutral field. You might favor K-State, but I think that'd be a really close game. KU, I'm not going to move them too much. They beat Oklahoma recently. And if you said KU with Cole Boward, well, yeah, I would move them down. But Kansas does, uh, you know, like I'm assessing them on the whole. And so they beat Oklahoma. They beat Iowa State. They lost to Oklahoma State. They lost to Kansas State. They lost to Texas. So all that in totality puts them where they are. And after Oklahoma's performance last week, I'm not going to move them up. Iowa State and West Virginia could be flipped. Um, once again, that'd be a good game. If they play neutral site, I believe. They don't play, so that's a dealer's choice situation there. Texas Tech holds pad after a close win. TCU up one after their resounding win over Baylor. Um, TCU-UCF would be an interesting game if they played. And UCF down one spot. Houston, BYU, Baylor, and Cincy all staying in the same spot. One thing we're going to attack on the show coming up, folks, we'll let you guys know, JT Wistrasil, who covers Utah, is coming on. The impact of Cam Rising coming back to Utah next year. Uh, we have to talk about what that means for Utah and the Big 12 Conference. We mentioned Jalen Daniels is coming back. We hope he gets healthy, but plenty of quarterback news. And I'll tell you what, guys, like I think ex exploration of what next year's quarterback group looks like of or looks like is interesting because if you think about it's an emerging quarterback group. Like this year, this group was kind of down. Uh, Ewers is coming back, I believe, right? So he's uh, SEC. I forgot about that. Uh, Oklahoma State is going to have uh, be in limbo. Uh, K State, I believe, Will Howard's going to come back. It's still have Avery Johnson there too. West Virginia with Garrett Green is improving. Rocco Becht is improving. Baron Morton gets the full control of the offense. Jalen Daniels, we hope, is healthy. Josh Hoover looks like he's improving. I still think I'm still Team Donovan Smith. Give him some help. Um, Blake Shapen, we'll see what happens with Baylor's situation overall. Uh, and then I know John Rice Plumley's moving on and we'll see what Cincinnati does, but there is a good core of quarterbacks coming, you know, in the conference currently. And then we'll see what Colorado has to do at quarterback, but Noah Fafita at, uh, at Arizona has been great. And then also too, you've got Cam Rising coming in and then we'll see a variety of quarterbacks at Arizona state. But I think if you can get Jaden Rashada healthy, the talent level is definitely there. So We've got a big storyline brewing here about the crop of quarterbacks as an emerging group coming in next year's Big 12. So some more conversation on that. And then we'll have previews coming up this week as well, too. We'll talk to our man Coos about West Virginia's turnaround and uh, how Neil Brown has done it and kind of the future there. Because Neil Brown turned it around. He's in good shape now. But like, what does the future look like? That has to be talked about, too. And previews and reactions coming. So it, uh, sit back and enjoy the Big 12 watch this week. We might have seven shows this week. I wouldn't be surprised if we go Monday all the way through Sunday with stuff wire to wire. So make sure you all are dialed in wherever you all get your podcasts and here on YouTube as well. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. We'll talk at you folks tomorrow.